Hey, Remar nurses, this is Monday Motivation. We're gonna be talking about the very important NCLEX topic of mechanical ventilation. Now this will just be an introduction to it so that you understand how to manage the basics of taking care of a, a person on a vent. Plus, as always, I have five challenging NCLEX questions based off of the content that we will go over on today and your Monday Motivation. I'm excited about this episode. Hey, did you guys know that right now we are doing our early Black Friday sale? We're doing 50% off of our NCLEX material for today only. So get there. If you have not committed to an NCLEX review program, this is the perfect time to try Remar. It's going to be a simple program for you to follow. You'll know exactly what to study. It's going to take so much time off of getting your nursing license. Hey, also... I did a scary topic NCLEX review. If you missed it last week, you can watch it again. It will make pharmacology seem so much more um, comprehensible. And also those topics will be on your board exam. So you won't have to study them alone. You can study them with me. Um, my whole thing is right now it is almost the end of the year. I want you to get your nursing license as quickly as possible so that you can enter the workforce and start your nursing jobs. I, I, I get so happy when Remar nurses say, hey, Regina, I start my job next week. I need first shift or I'm so nervous about it. The idea is that you guys are doing what you need to do and I'm helping for you to get your nursing license. So we're gonna get into it. Um, mechanical ventilation, again, is our topic on today. I would highly suggest taking notes or listening to this in a way that you're actively participating because this is a topic that most nursing students struggle with, all right? So we're gonna get into it. When we talk about mechanical ventilation, these are the basic principles of it. So mechanical ventilation is the administration of oxygen to the lungs through an endotracheal tube or a tracheostomy tube. Um, and these things are necessary for appropriate oxygenation and ventilation. So it performs the process of breathing and gas exchange in individuals who have respiratory failure. And so what it does is it tries to uh, imitate the act of spontaneous breathing. Now, the, the clients on mechanical ventilation are usually not comfortable. So they experience discomfort and that is why normally they have to be sedated and hence pain control and cautions in nursing care must be considered. So I, I, right there, that's a mouthful. What I want you guys to understand is that when a client needs to have the act of breathing taken over by a vent, there are two things that you want to structurally know. First is that it is done by an endotracheal tube, an ET tube, right? And how NCLEX can test if you really know this, they will ask you, one tube is connected to the ventilator, the other tube is connected to the patient, where does that tube start? Um, I should say, where does that tube stop? Because we know it's going usually through, through the mouth, right? It's going through the mouth. 
And let me ask you this, true or false, that tube ends up in the lungs. So it's going right from the vent to the lungs. What do you guys say? An endotracheal tube, where does it end? Okay, put it in the comments. I see it on the, I'm, I'm trying to get you guys to critically think. I see the comments, right? You need to know that endotracheal means that the tube ends up where? Not in the lungs, okay? Not in the lungs, not in the pulmonary, nope, in the trachea, okay? This is important. The tube never goes down into the lungs. It should not be down there, okay? So structurally, that's one thing. And then when you think about this, normally you don't have a tube going down into your trachea, right? Tubes never go past your voice box. They never end up in your trachea. So this is a painful experience. This is an uncomfortable experience for your patient. So as you are managing their respirations, you also constantly have to be managing their pain their discomfort level. Because if a client had their own faculties, the first thing that they are doing is pulling that tube out. They don't want it in there. So you have a patient that is constantly fighting an intervention. All right. Think about the nursing interventions that must be done to keep that patient comfortable and compliant to care. All right. So I wanted to start that off as a foundation. You need to understand all of this if you're going to be a safe nurse. So let's move on. So we have the introduction. We're talking about respiratory failure. And with respiratory failure, um, that's any malfunction in the pulmonary system, such as the airways, alveoli, the central nervous system, the peripheral neural system, respiratory muscles, and the chest wall which can lead to respiratory failure. So many types of conditions can lead to a person needing mechanical ventilation. Uh, I'm sure you guys can put some in the comments, COPD, um, what else can lead to it? Pneumonia, arts, pulmonary embolism, pulmonary edema, many things. So when we talk about mechanical ventilation, what is the idea what is the goal and mechanical ventilation or mv uh, is going to be provide artificial respiratory function through intubation and we talked about that through intubation respiration oxygen delivery and humidification are controlled by this ventilation machine so normally the airway does that normally when when we are breathing, we take in room air, right? And it goes through our nose and it gets warmed up and it gets moisturized, right? And it goes down through our upper respiratory tract system so that by the time it gets to the lungs, it's what? It's the right temperature. It's the right moisture level so that it's not harming or being abrasive to all the sterile parts that are inside of our body. So um, that's what the ventilator does for the patient. It allows them to take in oxygen, right? Sometimes it's mixed with room air. We'll talk about that later. Um, and then it warms it, it humidifies it, it makes sure it's the appropriate rate for the patient. However, the mechanical ventilation is not a cure 
for respiratory failure. And my goodness, how much of that did we see during COVID where uh, a client would come in with COVID and they would need a ventilator and you would have the hope that the ventilator would be able to treat the COVID in some way, but that was not the case. That was not the case. The ventilator uh, usually just extended the life of the person for a shorter amount of time, but they eventually succumbed to the COVID, right? So ventilators are never the cure. They're never the cure. They are an aggressive, aggressive form of treatment. And um, the idea is that we always are trying to address the underlying cause, all right? So why would a person need to have a ventilator? There's two main reasons. Uh, I have here support pulmonary gas exchange based on alveolar ventilation and arterial oxygenation, which is just a very fancy way for allowing the relationship between oxygen and carbon dioxide to remain in a, a form of hemostasis for the person. So the ventilator helps to um, helps to put those things together in a way that provides adequate oxygenation. So a patient would need them if they were not able to do that on their own, if there was a failure to oxygenate or a failure to ventilate them on their own self. And also the second reason is very important. It's airway protection. So when you think about airway protection, what does that mean? Um, what would you be protecting? Uh, specifically, if I say that my person, my patient, if I give you a report and I say, you know what, Mr. Jones is struggling with his airway protection. As a nurse, what does that mean to you? What does his airway typically need to be protected from? Oh, this is good. This is good nursing, uh, practical clinical talk. I love it. Um, so when we talk about a client having issues with airway protection, usually they are not able to protect their airway, their pulmonary system from food or liquids. So that means that um, my patient has some dysphagia going on where if they eat their lunch, they're coughing up liquids because that fluid is getting down into their pulmonary system right? Or food particles. I can't be sure if my patient is able to eat their dinner without food going into their airway. So if a patient is having issues with that, that can also lead to an indication for mechanical ventilation. They cannot protect their airway. All right. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. We are learning. We're taking on this very tough topic, but we're breaking it down and making it practical. So when you look at a ventilator, there are four basic components of that ventilator, and they are, number one, the power source, okay? And the power source is, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, you guys, the power source is basically how this machine is being operated. Is it is it getting energy from batteries, or is it getting energy from an electrical outlet, period? The control system is the the portion of the machine that is actually regulating the oxygen that's being delivered to your patient period is telling you or you're able to tell it i should say 
how to do what it is designed to do. The monitoring system is how you're able to see what is going on. You're able to see what the ventilator has been programmed to and what it is currently doing in real time. And then the safety system of the ventilator is um, how the patient is being protected. So for example, the alarms that the ventilator has, okay, the filters that the ventilator has. Does that make sense? Cool, let's keep going. So this is the part where your mind starts to go crazy because in nursing school, rarely do we get to see a patient with a ventilator, let alone care for them. So I'm going to give you these terms because they are important for you to know, but definitions is the key to this. So if you see tidal volume, you understand, well, let me say this, let me say this. Let me start by saying this. When it comes to, when it comes to delivering oxygen to a patient, there are many different ways to do that. For example, we can deliver oxygen based on volume. So if we want the patient to have a certain volume, we can deliver oxygen that way. We can deliver um, oxygen to a patient based on a rate. If we want them to keep their respiratory rate at a certain way, we can program the vent that way. We can deliver it based on the PEEP or based on the uh, pressure we want the patient to have. So many different ways or many different modes you will see for NCLEX or nursing. They'll say what mode or the patient is in this mode. So let's try to, um, let's try to simplify it here. So for example, the tidal volume is essentially just the amount of air delivered with each breath. That's all it means, the volume of air that the patient gets with each breath. The ventilator rate is just how it sounds. The respiratory rate that is needed by the client. So typically, on a ventilator, it's like 12 to 16 breaths per minute, okay? Um, and the ventilation mode, all right, the ventilation mode is just what it sounds like. What way is the ventilator helping the patient? Because it can essentially be two ways. Either the ventilator is breathing for the patient or the patient is breathing for themselves and the ventilator is just a backup. PEEP, we always see PEEP in our textbooks and sometimes on our tests. PEEP is essentially just the pressure that the patient is receiving at the end of their ventilation. So that's why it's positive in expiratory pressure. So it's just the pressure that the patient gets, how their um, alveoli, alveoli is encouraged to stay open at the end of ventilations. That's it. There's two ways that you can determine um, the oxygenation that a patient gets is PEEP and then it's FiO2. So PEEP, again, is the pressure. FiO2 is just the mixture of air to oxygen. That's it. It's just the mixture of air to oxygen. So when you see FiO2, keep it simple for NCLEX. Flow rate and pattern is kind of um, what it sounds like as well. So that's the, the maximum flow. 
um, at which the ventilator can deliver a certain volume of air to the patient. Okay. And then trigger sensitivity has to do with how the ventilator or when the ventilator will kick in and help the patient. So the patient can be breathing on their own, but say they drop down to 10 breaths per minute, then that trigger is going to tell the ventilator, hey, help this patient expand. They're not, they're not at an adequate um, gas exchange right now. Okay. So terms, but you have to be exposed to them to know what they mean. But I want you guys to try to keep it as simple as possible here with me and absorb the basics of this. Yeah. All right. I have some more terms. These are though the complications. So we went from the different settings. Now these are the complications of a ventilator. And so the first one is asynchrony. Do you know what that means? What about barrel trauma? Ventilator-associated lung injury. I bet you could probably guess what these are, okay? So let's go from, start from the top. Asynchrony is just, um, it, it's kind of like a sound. It's not synchronized. It's the opposite. So there is a mismatch between the patient and the ventilator. They're not on one accord. That's a complication. All right. Barotrauma. Barotrauma is essentially a complication that happens because your patient is on a ventilator. So those ventilator settings hurt the patient. Like if the PEEP setting is wrong, then that can cause a patient to have what? A pneumothorax, right? If you have too much pressure coming from that ventilator, it's going to harm the patient. Um, a ventilator-associated lung injury is the kind of same thing. It's an acute, it's an acute condition where your patient did not have this problem until they were put on a ventilator. So it occurs on a ventilator. Hemodynamic compromise. This is interesting because when a patient is on a ventilator, sometimes it can decrease the cardiac output of the patient. So that leads to the patient having a, um, that leads to a patient having hypotension. Right. So the ventilator, because it usurps a natural breathing process, the heart is like, hey, I don't have to work as hard. I got something else pumping oxygen through and I can just like take a little break. But what happens is the cardiac output decreases and the patient's blood pressure drops. And so when a patient's blood pressure drops systemically, you're going to have some issues there. So that's the definition of that. Nosocomial infection is a infection that is acquired in a hospital setting, right? This is a serious complication. Patients are um, mm, patients are treated for nosocomial infections so often they get these infections in the hospital setting. So when it comes to Hold on, that may be some, that may be some cell. Okay, all right. Um, I didn't know if it was coming from my PowerPoint or what. But anyways, the, um, oh, that's what it's telling me. All right, hold on one second. Let me see if I can get this back up for us. Okay, there we go. So with nosocomial infections, um, what happens is a patient, because they're on a ventilator, the 
inside of our body is sterile, right? So all of the cavities, I say this to you guys, all of the cavities inside of our bodies are sterile. Inside of our lungs are sterile. That means there should be no bacteria. Inside of our heart, there should be no bacteria. Um, Only thing that would have bacteria is like our mouth, right? Our mouth has bacteria. Um, Certain parts of our body has bacteria in it. And I think you guys can, you know, think of the other parts of your body that have bacteria, but healthy, healthy, productive bacteria. However, your organs are sterile, your blood is sterile, your trachea is sterile. So when you introduce a tube into a sterile place from the outside world, you are essentially putting that organ, that body part at risk for bacteria that's not supposed to be there. So patients on ventilators, as you can imagine, are at risk for these um, these nosocomial infections, okay? All right. Now, let's go to sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation is an issue because the being on a ventilator, the environment that it puts you in, most of these patients are also in an acute care. Like you're not going to have a patient on a ventilator in a basic med surge floor. Like these are medical intensive care patients. So being in those environments disrupts a person's normal sleep pattern. Also, if they have to be sedated for any amount of time, that also is going to disrupt their normal sleep pattern. So it's a thing. Uh, Gastritis, ulcers, malnutrition. Can anybody think why ulcers would be common for a patient on a ventilator? This is so good. Like I was preparing this uh, lesson for my daughter and she's eight years old. And we were talking about these terms and I was explaining to her why the connection between mechanical ventilation and ulcers happens. Can anybody think of why? Comments on the screen. This is how we study together. Mechanical ventilation. Now, the reason is because being on a ventilator is stressful, is stressful. And we know that when a body is under stress, it develops Uh, gastrointestinal complications such as ulcers, right? We think of curling's ulcers when patients who have burns over a certain percentage of their body, their body is under stress. So these gastric ulcers are produced. And then the, the last one here that I have is weakness. And of course, you can think about the position that you're in on a ventilator. You are not up moving around you are stationary, you're in one place. And so systemically, because the body is not having to exert itself under any form of resistance, weakness occurs, weakness occurs. All right. So the assessment and monitoring of this patient from a nursing perspective is, of course, we want to know the patient's baseline vital signs. We want to know their respiratory status, a complete blood count, the fluid and nutritional status as well, and a psychological status. We want to know if the patient is, are they depressed? Are they generally in a good mood? Or is this new environment going to take a toll on them? And then the, the MV settings of oxygenations and alarms you need to be familiar with. We do go over that in your uh, VT student workbook. Whether you're an RN or a PN, you need to know the need for stru- suction, airway pressures, 
okay? Positioning and also troubleshooting. Now for NCLEX, these things are going to be extremely basic, extremely basic. So don't get too deep in it. This is not a respiratory therapy exam. Okay, so how to pass NCLEX. Here are our questions based off of the content that we went over. This is always the way you should be studying. You guys know this. We are definitely doing content over questions. So let's go over the content first. Let me see. I have here. And then it is on Facebook. It's on It's on Facebook today or is it on YouTube? Uh, I believe it is on Facebook today for our um, for our share goal. And so we want to do 20 shares on Facebook should be super simple to unlock the bonus question to unlock the bonus question. Okay. Here is the first question right here. Okay. A new nurse was assigned to a respiratory care unit. Which of the following findings require invasive mechanical ventilation? All right. Is it moderate obstructive sleep apnea? Is it dyspnea upon exertion? Is it dysphagia with regular breathing patterns? Or is it an adult with a respiratory rate of over 40 mm, breaths per minute? What say you guys to this? We're talking about here, which of the following findings requires invasive mechanical ventilation. Oh, this is good. This is really good, guys. The indication, this is a perfect NCLEX question because it's it's just matching the intervention with the condition. That's it. Do you understand the reason for this intervention? Hey, I see the comments on the screen. If you pick the numero quattro, that's the right one. Number four. So mechanical ventilation, remember respiratory failure, respiratory failure. And so if a patient has a breathing rate of, of 40, that indicates that they are in risk of losing their ability to keep up with the demands of oxygen for their body. So excessive work of breathing, it says here, increasing respiratory rate indicates acute respiratory failure. Causative factor may not be clear, but indications for mechanical ventilation include excessive work of breathing with or without evidence of respiratory muscle fatigue. So it doesn't matter if it looks like the person is tired or not. This is a, a reason for them to get mechanical ventilation. So mechanical ventilation, of course, does not cure the underlying cause, but it provides adequate ventilation. So let me say this. If your patient is sitting there and, and this happens a lot and they're breathing, like maybe they come in with congestive heart failure or COPD and they're sitting there and their respiratory rate is, is very high and they're sitting there like this. Right, right. And even... Even, even, even if at the time they have an oxygenation rate at 98% and they are up moving around, but they're breathing, but they're still like getting dressed, okay? The doctor is going to sedate them and put them on a ventilator. The doctor is going to put them under and put them on a ventilator because even if the patient does not look tired right now, right? After a while, their condition is going to progress and it may be too late to save them. So it is better. It is much better to sedate the patient, knock them out, 
put him on a ventilator and then try to figure out what's going on with this person. Why, if we wake them up, they're going to be breathing 50 breaths per minute, right? So the mechanical ventilator allows a patient to have more time essentially for the doctors to figure out what's wrong, right? Because after a while, if those respiratory muscles fatigue and the patient is no longer able to maintain that 50 breaths per minute, they are surely going to die. So it's better to intervene quickly. All right. And, and I'm saying this as a nurse because a lot of family members, they fight against the ventilator as they think that it is, um, they think it's unnecessary or they think it's too much, right, in the beginning. And I understand, I understand both positions. But as nurses, we have to be able to communicate therapeutically to our patients. Okay. All right. That's my hobby horse for this time. Next. All right. Number two. Um, in the mechanical ventilator machine, this part helps the nurse to evaluate the patient's respiratory needs by assessing the ventilator's performance. Is it number one, the power source? Two, the control system? Three, the monitoring system? Or four, the alarms? What do you guys think? We are talking, we are talking about this part helps the nurse to evaluate the patient's respiratory needs by assessing the ventilator's performance. Ah, this is good. This is good, guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what we have here is we are looking at, we should be looking at the monitoring system number three. So the monitors are means of sensing and presenting the characteristics of gas delivery so that one might be able to assess the ventilator's performance and probably also the patient's condition. Yeah. So it monitors gas concentration and flow. All right, cool. Let's move on. We should at least have one of two. We should at least have one, one of two. <laughs> All right. Number three, um, the nurse is caring for a post-operative client under sedation with ET hooked on a mechanical ventilator. The nurse anticipates that the client is in what mode of ventilation? Ah, number one, assist control. Two, controlled ventilation. Three, synchronized intermittent ventilation. Or four, pressure support ventilation. Uh, now this one is going to make you think, but I am going to... Think about, I know, think about the patient's condition. That's what I'll start with. Think about the patient's condition, okay? Now, um, we have a client, they're hooked on sedation and they have the ET hooked to the mechanical ventilator. This patient, this patient is on controlled ventilation. And so that means that because this patient is sedated, they're not breathing on their own here. I want you guys to think of that. So controlled ventilation initiates all breaths at a preset rate in tidal volume. The vent will block any spontaneous breaths. So it's, this is used mainly for OR for paralyzed and sedated patients. Okay. 
Question number four, before we look at, see if Facebook got our share goal. Question number four is this, a client on a mechanical ventilator reports symptoms of possible pneumothorax manifested by chest pain and dyspnea. The nurse is suspecting a complication of MV use called, is this number one, barrel trauma, two, asynchrony, three, decreased tissue perfusion, or four, tracheal infection. Oh, so good. I love it. I love it. I love it when you guys show up for our Monday motivation content because this is going to make it so much easier when you take your NCLEX. You're going to know mechanical ventilators in a very great way. I see the comments on the screen. And I'm just telling you guys, you're going to be so happy when you see a question like this on your NCLEX because you're going to say, Lordy, you heard my prayer and you are honoring that I showed up for Monday Motivation right now. <laughs> Correct answer is number, yeah, number one, don't have to move a thing. Barrel trauma, again, remember, is a physical damage to body tissues. Air leaking into the extra alveolar tissue because of that ventilator. So it's going to result in conditions such as a pneumothorax, a pneumomediastinum, a pneumoperitoneum, and subcutaneous emphysema. All right. Okay, let's see here. Let's see if we have our 50-50 share goal. I'm going to check it out. But as always, I got a Remar nurse who just passed NCLEX and this is what she wants to tell you. Nurse Lee, what do you think? Hello, my name is Zanita and I am proud to say that I am a Rima nurse. So today guys, I got my results on <laughs> I got my results today and I am now a registered nurse board certified in the state of Florida and I want to just take this time out to say thank you to Regina and her team. The virtual trainer is the best. Listen, this book here was my bible for three, three to four weeks. I focused, listened to the videos along with my book as you can see if you open it up if i open it up it's so many information and notes that i took and just reviewing everything and it was just what i needed just what i needed so i want to say thank you so much to the rima team to regina and to those of you out there who are you know a little bit anxious or a little bit um discouraged stick with the rima um program stick with regina not only is the information in there um, um the best is what you need to know it, it it's it's everything that's on the boards really but regina is awesome you know when i first came across her platform on facebook something about her just drew me in you know the way that she's passionate about educating and helping um, students that was a big thing for me and that's one of the reasons why i chose to go with rima and i it did not fail me guys today i'm an rn i am so excited so i just wanted to share this with you guys please guys stay focused stay with rima remember regina always says you will and you must pass inflex today i can say i will and i have passed the inflex rn thank you rima
Oh my goodness, guys. Y'all don't know. Like when I see these testimonies, I literally, I, I want to cry because I don't get to meet everybody in real time. And so to have a Remar nurse, like say, Regina, I gave you a try. I saw you. I connected with you. And usually I'm used to seeing quick facts as people's Bibles. Most people say like quick facts is their Bible, but she actually had the, <laughs> she actually had the, uh, the student workbook as her NCLEX Bible and had it filled out. And so that is just, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond my wildest dreams. So congratulations, Nurse Lee. Who's next? Who's going to be next? And guess what? You guys did it. We unlocked the bonus question. Facebook came through for us. It was a close one, but I'm super happy about it. Um, but even so, every time that you guys show up, it is such an honor to be here, to be the number one NCLEX instructor on the planet. I got an unlock question for you right now. It is this one. The client has risk for joint stiffness while on a ventilator. Which intervention below can prevent joint stiffness for clients on a vent? Is it number one, turning client side to side every two hours? Two, suction tracheal secretions as needed. Three, carry out passive range of motion exercises of all extremities. Or four, apply a footboard. Ooh, what do you guys say here? I'm looking for the person that has three out of five today. Three out of five today is good because this was a challenging topic. What do you guys say? Correct answer, no time to waste is going to absolutely be ah passive range of motion. Remember that for any patient that's bedridden, sedated, on a mechanical ventilation, um, repeated movements of muscles and joints improve flexibility. And also it increases the circulation to the body part. Thus stiffness can be avoided. And that's why it is so important to do passive range of motions, but also ourselves, we should be taking walks. We should be moving around um, throughout our day. Our new thing, me and Mark, anytime we eat a meal, we go, we take a walk afterwards and it just helps with digestion. It helps us to keep our circulation flowing. It's such a good practice, guys, such a good practice. So that was our five NCLEX questions. I do have your Monday motivation today with it being, you know what it is today. You know what it is. It's it's Halloween. Um, so people will be doing this thing or their children will be doing this trick-or-treating thing if they have not already done it. So bags of treats or fears, let's get into it. Trick-or-treating is a thing that is going to be happening or has already happened in your neighborhood. And we know that it is where, you know, kids go around asking for candy. But some adults celebrate this Halloween by doing things such as watching scary movies, getting popcorn, sitting in front of, them, in front of themselves and just all out trying to make themselves afraid. Now, you guys know, I already said, what is the scariest thing that possibly could be going on in your life right now? But I'll just get to that later. So do you, is this how you, you know, celebrate this holiday if you do? Or is there another way that you have fear in your life, right? Because you can artificially have fear by watching these movies and things like that. Or you could carry around a fear of losing someone, losing a parent or losing a spouse. Does that make you afraid? Or what about what other people think about you being judged or not feeling good enough? 
What about getting hurt? There are people who literally worry about getting into car crashes. Um, some people are definitely afraid of getting COVID. Some people, um, you know, are worried about the next, you know, virus or thing that is attacking us. It's RSV season right now. Um, so is that a fear for you? Is it rejection? Is it not getting uh, your ATT or not getting your green card or not getting the job that you want? Is that a fear that you have? What about overall just not being enough? There are people who the enemy sends in your life to make you feel like you're not good enough. There are people who um, tell you, you want to be a nurse? No, you're horrible. Like you would be a horrible, terrible nurse. Like there are people like that in our lives. There are nursing teachers that are actually supposed to teach nursing that actually discourage students from becoming a nurse. It's mind blowing. But these are fears that real people are carrying around or this fear of failing NCLEX. It is, it is true that NCLEX failing rates are going up. People are not passing this NCLEX in the same way that they used to pass. And there are reasons why, but at the end of the day, it's a real thing. Are these fears for you? You know, and some people may say, well, it's silly to celebrate Halloween and try to scare yourself. I would never do that. I would never celebrate Halloween. But then again, every other day of the year, you're scaring yourself with these things. So I would say thinking about how to overcome our fears, what's important? Number one, you pray about it, okay? Because your fears are trying to create a response in your life. And so you have to have a power that's greater than yourself to deal with some of these things. Some of these things are spiritual attacks. Recite positive affirmations. You don't have one? Let me give you one. I can, I will, I must pass NCLEX. Three, this one is really good for me. It's doing one thing that scares you every day. I... Um, I just like, uh, I, I like it. I, I really do. Like, I really do. It is, it is exposing yourself to the things that you are almost afraid of. So, oh, for me, I try to think in my mind, guys, that if I'm putting myself in a new experience, then my brain is having to create new cells, create new neurons, because I've never been in that situation before. Although it is very scary, once I do it, I'm a new person because I've had a new experience. And so we can encourage our brain to keep active. We can encourage our brain to keep thinking by doing new things and then changing your perspective on failure. I always think about this. Um, people not um, embracing you have to, it has to be a part of the experience. You are, you're not always going to get yes, but Hey, every no you get is closer to your next. Yes. That's how I think about it. And then celebrating your successes, even the little things I'm here for you guys. You showed up today. That's amazing. Okay. So put all of your fears into this trash can. Okay. I want you to look at this trash can and every negative fear that you have been thinking, whether it's failure of the NCLEX exam, 
failure of losing somebody and don't think you can live on without them, failure of getting hurt, rejection, whatever it is that you know is not contributing to your mental health positively or not from God, dump it. Put it in this trash can, all right? Because those negative thoughts are only weighing you down. They're not serving you. They're not helping you. They're not encouraging you. And your job is to get to the next level. Your job is to get out of your comfort zone in 2022 and be ready for your NCLEX exam by 2023, if not before that. And so from now on, I want you to see this bag, okay? This this is your Remar nursing career bag. And I want you to put all of your dreams and your positive thoughts only into this bag and this is what you carry around because your nursing dream for yourself your your goals how you see yourself as a nurse the life you will have as a nurse and it's a beautiful life i don't care you know is nursing perfect no but is it a million times better than what you're probably doing right now yes is the um career mobility amazing and phenomenal absolutely i'm getting text messages every day for people that are just like, hey, we got a new job. I want to tell you about it. I want to pay you to look at it. I want to, I want you to come and work with us. Like before I became a nurse, nobody was checking for me. Like literally, <laughs> I would be nervous on job interviews because who's to say if I would be hired or not? Now people are saying, Listen, we're going to hire you. Just read about this job. Listen, we never in my never in my life had that happened before I became a nurse. I told you guys, the bag will start chasing you. This is your bag right here. Okay? And just put whatever dreams, whatever whatever you want in your nursing career, where you want your own autonomy, you want to make your own decisions, you want healthcare, you want vacations, you want a new car, you want a new mind, whatever you want, put it in that bag and carry it around, all right? Because once you get your nursing license, it will chase you, honestly, all right? And so, yes, and also in the back, you could put, I'm confident, I wake up motivated, I'm closer than I've ever been before, I'm next, my challenges help me to grow, I can do better next time, today is an amazing, beautiful day, a phenomenal day, I've never seen it before, I'm so grateful for my life and this opportunity, I get to plan my own test date, nobody surprises me with it, I get to pick it out, I get to know the time I'm going to take the NCLEX, it's all under my control, I can, I will, I must pass NCLEX. These are the things that I want you to say to yourself, guys, because fear can have two meanings. It can have forget everything and run, which is easy to do. It's very easy to do. Just run away. Close the book. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out of here. Or you could do the higher of the two and you can face everything and rise, rise up so that you are literally in a position to grab the opportunity because it's not coming around uh every single day like this is really a time sensitive opportunity so face everything and rise guys and remember the choice is yours the choice is yours always hey if you want to study with me more for NCLEX I want you to check out my entire NCLEX review program right now today only it is 50% off don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. So I will see you guys later. Thanks for watching. You can, you will, and you must pass in clicks. See you later.